Dave, we are a podcast about music for musicians and for people that really understand the power and value that music can bring into people's lives. The last few months, however, have been particularly challenging for musicians and people that work in and around music. And so today we're very proud to show our support for a fantastic charity doing some brilliant work in this area here in the UK. That's all right, John. Um, Help Musicians are a, an amazing charity who offer a wide range of services and support for those based in the UK. This includes work with creative programmes, support with health and wellbeing, to name but a few. So for those who love music, want to support the industry and help see it grow, please visit www.helpmusicians.org.uk. Love music, help musicians. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, welcome to the Punk Rock Academy podcast with me, John. And me, Dave. John, John, John. How are you doing today, mate? Dave, Dave, Dave. I'm very well. I've got a very big smile on my face. We have just had a uh, a delicious chat with Mikey Erg. Totally scrumptious. Totally scrumptious. Oh, it really was. I could have spoken to that guy all night. Um, we talked about a lot. We covered, you know, we covered our views on the pandemic, which I guess might not make it into the final cut. But we talked about lots of fun stuff too um it was great it's such a lovely chat um i hope i hope everyone enjoys it yeah i hope they do too and i can't wait to meet up with them for a drink in april should um, all things be clear and the pandemic goes away just 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 be gone pandemic uh yeah so we spoke about you know obviously he's very many exploits we have lots of different bands and his love of cover songs and it led me thinking john um what's your cover song What's my favourite cover song? Yeah, yeah. We, we talked a lot about covers with Mikey. He's done a few. His dad was in a covers band. Um, we talked about why. <sighs> I'm stalling because my brain is saying seven seconds, nine to nine red balloons, which is, you know, but that's a bit bit standard. I'm going to say Pegboy. They two, they did two covers. They did um, Surrender by Cheat Trick and they did um, That's When I Reach For My Revolver by Mission of Burma. And I think both those songs add... Both their versions add something really different to kind of two classic songs of their genre. There's, I mean, Pegboy are a very powerful, um, very powerful band with with a very sort of strong guitar tone and you know big, big vocals. And I love, I love what they do with those songs. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with those two Pegboy covers. How about you? Good, good choices. Um, I haven't heard your uh, covers, but I've heard the originals and good, good solid songs. Um, for me, I'm going to go for. A band called Knowledge. Uh, they cover Desmond Decker's Unity. Um, Knowledge of kind of an offshoot from Link 80, which is a great band. Um, but yeah, as a, as a song goes, very solid cover and it's a happy song and I like feeling happy. So yeah. In these dark times, mate, you've got to remain positive, haven't you? Absolutely. Let's remain positive and speak to another happy guy. Here's Mikey. But how, how are you keeping? Good. Yeah, it's, you know, everything's good. Got tested a couple of days ago just to make sure that everything was okay. And it seems like everything's okay on our end. So that's that's good at least. But yeah, the wider situation. I mean, so obviously the, the, the story of your your pandemic, Mikey, is is the new album. I guess we might as well just get straight into that. That that was that yeah. was written, recorded and, and released all in the last um, 
all in the, in the last sort of year and a half or so. Is that yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we recorded it in August of last year, basically just cause, uh, me and my, a couple, uh, my couple friends, Fid and Chris Pierce, uh, we're kind of like going stir crazy in our houses. Like we wanted something to do. So we just like made a plan to just meet up. Uh, I got picked up like by the bass player. We drove in a car down to our, our, you know, drummer's studio and just had masks on the entire time and, you know, stayed as far away from each other as possible and just like got loud and recorded it. And that's basically, you know, the, but we just we're looking for an excuse to get together and rock, you know. Oh, that's <laughs> so, so we made so we made a record out of it. And how, and how did that process feel? Like obviously being in that sort of environment as opposed to the usual way you go about recording. It was great. I mean, I wrote the song super quickly. It kind of just felt like going back into you know the old the old Ergs days or something, where you just like write songs really quickly and just learn them and then you'd be playing them that night, you know, like that's, that's how we used to do things. Uh, and you know, I, I always kind of find that my best songs or at least the songs that people gravitate to more are the ones that I wrote in like two minutes. So I figured let's try to make a whole album of those. <laughs> really, um, it was, I was listening to it earlier on. I've listened to it a few times. It's, um, it's, it's a return to kind of a slightly, a slightly more uh, original, original erg sound, as you say. Yeah, it, it is. And like, I didn't really, that wasn't even in my brain to like, oh, I got, I'm going to make a new Ergzy type record. It was just like what came out and what came out when I was just, oh, what do I, what do I do when I want to rock for a minute and a half? Okay. This is what, this is what comes out, you know, <laughs> like it just, uh, yeah, it just happened. Uh, and I didn't want to overthink anything. I didn't want to like, you know put too much you know that's we did the i always really loved the back of one of the queers records said like uh you know recorded uh J january 8th from 5 p.m to january 9th at 2 p.m you know i just <laughs> like i always loved it it's oh, wait the whole record was done in like eight hours yeah cool uh so i wanted to make sure i put that on there like <laughs> i just thought it was just a cool like thing to just get together for a night and just see what happens I see you obviously inspired the artwork as well, inspired straight from the Clash. Absolutely, yeah. That's what you love as well. Yeah, and that was just that just happened. I just happened to be walking around Camden and saw that that was <laughs> that was the spot. Like uh, we were in the, the there's a Doc Martin store in Camden, and it's like if you walk out this door and look to your right, uh, that's the spot where that album cover was was shot. And so I of course I had to take a picture there. When was that? Uh, this was like two, a couple of uh, 2018 I was over and uh, and then I sent it to my friend who's a huge Clash fan and he immediately just texted me back with like that. He did it in like three seconds and I was like, okay, I'm using that for something. I don't know what I was going to use it for a t-shirt, but then I never did. And so it felt like the album cover was the perfect. <laughs> I often wonder, like, there must be so many tourists around there and I'm guessing some of them, the majority must know. But there must be some who are just like, why are these people taking this photo on these stairs? Like, oh yeah, well, I, just, there's nothing there. It's just so innocuous, isn't it? I wonder that all the time because I'm a I'm a the, the, I'm a sucker for any of those weird locations that you see on album covers that no one would know. Like, I mean, back alleys or something, and that I'm just having people take picture pictures of me in front of and i bet people are what is he what is he doing yeah yeah there must be loads <laughs> of there's a really good story actually i'm not a fan but um 
Joshua Tree by U2. I think uh-huh. like, they had to like they had to keep the the tree secret because they were basically going to have be inundated in this one national park, right? With um with just thousands of tourists, which would have just kind of ruined the, the eco eco sort of system, right? So no, no one knows. No one knows what the which what exact tree is. they. <laughs> Um, yeah. While, while we're on the subject of album covers, obviously behind you, I can see the Beatles. There's, it's like oh, a yeah. mythology or something. Yeah, um, it's like it's the mono box set. <laughs> amazing. So, two. Did you did you do Abbey Road? Yep. You did Abbey Road. Amazing. Yeah, of, of course. Of course. That, that I think most people probably do know. Yeah, I've done it a few times. Uh, it's kind of mind blowing to just you know get out of the tube and just walk like three blocks, and then you're annoying drivers <laughs> yeah yeah exactly in one of the most famous spots on the planet <laughs> i've taken i've taken the picture like a zillion times but i've never done the like all right you get you get in the middle of the street and i never want to be that guy but it's so it's never framed quite properly but next uh... time you're open let's do it, yeah? <laughs> yeah we'll meet up and we'll do it properly did you have you seen um have you seen get back yet the oh yeah multiple times i, I mean um... I haven't seen all of it, but I was chatting to a mate about this the other day. And the thing that um, sort of struck us both, it's like, I, th- I think, it, I don't know about you, it really, I, I mean, I, I, Dave and I used to play in, in bands and um, yeah. like, it really just, uh, I actually told a really kind of true story about yeah. how mundane and actually quite awkward that sort of whole process is. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've heard, I've heard a lot of cri- criticisms of, mostly by casual Beatles fans that, you know, how many times do we need to hear Don't Let Me Down? Uh, But I love that he left eight hours of them literally playing the same five songs because that's what you do when you're a band. And to be quite honest, I've listened to the 90-disc entire uh, rehearsal uh, tapes of that stuff. And, I mean he kind of curated it really well. <laughs> like he made it kind of listenable, even though it's still tedious to get through. It's, it's not as tedious as the 90 hours of audio that there is. So did it, did it kind of ring true to you in your experiences? Absolutely. I mean, especially all the like, and I love that that's like the, the Beatles hating each other, <laughs> but you know, I was like, if that's them hating each other, then they're, they're really hiding it. Because they're they look like they're having a blast. I've had bigger fights <laughs> over where to eat lunch uh, on the way to the next show. <laughs> so, so were the Beatles one of the bands that you know you grew up with? But they something yeah. that your parents introduced you to. Basically, they were like my first favorite band. Uh, we would go. I remember we would go to. Well, I actually don't remember this. My mom would tell me that we would go when I was like one or two. We go to my grandparents' house that still had my mom and and her sister's old forty fives in the closet, and we'd walk into the house, and I would just start screaming, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," meaning I wanted wanted them to put on my mom's old forty five of "She Loves You." So I must have loved them from pretty much day one. And then, yeah, I was getting into like, uh, we would li- I'd listen to the radio obsessively too when I was super super young. So I was, and at that point, the radio was Michael Jackson, Bruce Springsteen, uh, Prince. So I was getting into all those things pretty super early too. And how old are you then? Uh, that uh, uh, I'm I'm 41 now. So yeah, this was like 80, 81 to 84. 
I was like really oh, wow, musical radio. awakening. I was like always super, super obsessed with music, even from from day one. I don't know wow. why or how. My dad's a musician, so I, I, like it's in the blood somewhere. But but it wasn't like he was like sitting me down. Not nobody was really sitting me down and playing me music. I don't know where I got it. <laughs> but it was around uh, and it was encouraged like no one was no one was discouraging it no one was discouraging it but i but i don't remember until like later and maybe this is only because this is when my um you know memories start but i, I do remember around five six seven age uh my dad sitting me down and, and playing me motown for the first time and playing me james brown and then and getting me into jazz and stuff like that like i was listening to that stuff that was all from influence from my father uh, but this first, the early years, I, I think I was just putting the radio on and, and, and pointing to the radio, indicating that I liked this song and then my mom would just buy me the album. Oh, and was there anything that your dad introduced you to didn't stick? That didn't stick? Well, I remember, I remember one of my absolute favorite songs in the world when it came out was Rhythm of the Night by DeBarge. I can't say I've been putting on the DeBarge record lately. But, uh, you know, it's still a banger. A big tune. But, <laughs> still a big tune. But, yeah, you know, like, I mean, but definitely yeah, Born in the USA is still a favorite. But Purple Rain is still an absolute favorite. Um, yeah, a lot what of stuff. What, 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 you said your dad was a musician. Like, what, yeah, he's a musician. He, he um, well, he owned a recording studio from the mid-70s until about a few years ago when he moved, he retired and moved to Florida. But... So I grew up essentially in a recording studio too, which is pretty sweet. But he also played um, he played drums in a in a cover band uh, back when back in the eighties, seventies, and eighties when cover bands were the absolute shit, uh, and they were like a pretty pretty popular cover band around New Jersey. So there was always drums around. I always had a space like a studio spot to just bang on drums. So I kind of. Was I I I was surrounded by music from a super young age, but but yeah, it was it wasn't until like you know, kind of later in my early years that I that I remember actually being shown music by <laughs> you know getting into like older music like you know Motown and '60s stuff, and that was all through my my parents. And when did you start picking up instruments yourself then? So when I was around six or seven is when I started really like banging on the drums at my dad's studio and i feel like a couple years after that it started to sound kind of good i don't know i was never the first time i played with anybody was well the first my first public performance was in it's in fourth grade so i guess i was probably around 10 10 or 11 um i played drums in in a in my uh elementary school's uh <clears throat> like holiday show they did like a rock and roll Christmas medley at the end of the show. And I volunteered to play drums, immediately regretting that I'd volunteered to play drums. Because I was like, why did I raise my hand when the teacher asked if anybody played drums? So I, I, don't, I don't even remember rehearsing. I think I just like, they told me what the song was and I went and learned it. I, I don't remember how it happened, but I ended up kind of, doing kind of well <laughs> i didn't i didn't totally embarrass myself and then kids started talking to me kind of for the first time in, in school and i was like oh cool i could do this 
That's very D- DIY ethics straight away. Yeah. You just got to stick your hand up and do it sometimes. And then... Yeah. And I, well, I mean, yeah. And I and immediately wish you didn't stick your hand up and do it. But that was my first public performance. And then I started joining bands uh, around uh, 13, 13 or 14. I started joining um, a couple. I, I played, I was playing with some older high school kids playing classic rock stuff. But then around the same time, I was getting into punk rock. So then I was starting, then I like started my own like first punk band around that time. So you're, you're uh, sort of the same, similar age to us. Um, well, quite similar to Dave. I'm a, I'm a little bit younger. Um, <laughs> but so I'm guessing by classic rock, are we talking like stuff of, of the time or even more classic, like 70s, 70s, 80s? 70s. Yeah, like this classic okay. rock band that I was in. It was, I was actually kind of more blues based. We would do, we were doing like, this guy, this older high school kid was teaching me a lot about like, I don't know. I was learning about cream at the time and like, and, and the stuff the cream is taking from like Robert Johnson and, uh, and stuff like that. But we'd also do, they were all huge Beatles fans. I was a huge Beatles fan. That's kind of what brought us together. And, uh, we would do Doors songs. We would do cream. We would do blues project and Paul Butterfield blues band, like stuff like that. Like wow. bluesy classic rock. I'm guessing at the same time, this is sort of around the time that um, that the kind of grunge. Yeah, well, yeah, and I was I was always I was super into I mean into uh, like from I was kind of into classic rock from like the you know age seven to nine or ten, and then kind of had a little metal phase for a while. Sort of get someone played me "Rust in Peace" by Megadeth, and I thought that was great. And Metallica was kind of just. Like Injustice for All, I can't come out, and uh, Black Album was about to come out, so I was kind of into those bands, and then Nirvana, and then Nirvana happened, and that was just like that just changed my life, uh, and then I got into all that stuff, and then you know, and then Rancid and Green Day happened. It's like someone took you to another planet, and you were just like, wait, this this other world exists, like this yeah. whole. It was familiar enough, but it was also your own sort of thing, wasn't it? it right. Was well, because it, it led me immediately, because I was so rabid about like finding out where this band, these bands came from, it led me immediately to Lookout Records and to, uh, you know, Epitaph and, you know, stuff like that, where, which still, I mean, I, it's, I mean, it was, it's, it, it was underground. It felt very underground. It felt completely underground. <laughs> like, you still had to, like, send uh you know wrapped up cash in in three uh pieces of paper in an envelope to get these records uh you know so like so it, yeah it opened up this whole world of and then once you find out about those bands there's a thousand bands that you didn't know of that that they're talking about that you're listening to uh so really what well, that was like the the real the true musical awakening i feel like and what sort of age were you when you started like going to shows and gigs? And what was the scene like? Around the same time I started playing with the blues band, I started getting into like Green Day and Rancid and and, and because of that, getting into un- more underground punk, but also like f- discovering The Clash and the Sex Pistols and, you know, watching punk documentaries and finding out about all these punk bands that existed in the 70s that I didn't know about until that point. But then like we would play local high school variety shows and stuff and there'd be our high school punk bands would be playing these shows it's a band called the youth ahead that i always kind of uh cite as and they actually kind of 
they did a they I know they did some European touring. They 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 kind of did a few things, but like we were playing together in high school and that was like the first punk show I saw. And those guys were putting on shows at VFW and like firehouses and stuff, like hall rented hall shows. So that's what I was going to when I was like fourteen, fifteen. And then when I was when I was fifteen, I saw the descendants uh right on their like everything on the Everything Sucks tour. It was them and Less Than Jake and uh Guttermouth. Uh, at a place called Roseland Ballroom, which like, I mean, I think it was probably like 3,000 people or something. It was like, it's like a gigantic place. It's not there anymore, but that's what I kind of cite as my first punk show. And then a couple months after that, I went to the Warp Tour for the first time. It was the second Warp Tour. And then that, that really was like a mind-blowing experience because it was just like, you know, I discovered a hundred bands that day. Yeah. And was handed Survival of the Fattest because they were just had they had people just giving it away for free, and so I I had sixteen new favorite bands immediately, you know, and and I think Epitaph was handing out Punkorama too, and it's just like okay, well here's another twenty favorite band, you know, it's just it just opened up this whole world. And, I did love those compilations. Yeah, they're so great, and you know, there were every time one came out, it was three. You dropped three bucks, and you found out about like at least five or ten new favorite bands and, and it was over here too it's so weird like you know it wasn't just it, it certainly was a big thing over in the uk at the time as well like it was as important and certainly opened our eyes to as much stuff i mean it was probably easier to get into us stuff at that time over yeah. here was to get into uk stuff in fact i got into a lot of the uk stuff that was happening on my doorstep way after i got into the sort of epifat stuff right yeah, it was so I because I wonder like how big was Snuff at that time? You snuff know, like, was slightly different. Like Snuff because they were on Fat when I when right. we started getting into. Okay, it. they, they mm-hmm. were kind of well known, but obviously we didn't know the history necessarily right. of, of what they were up to and what they had been up to. So for for me, I can't speak for everyone, but for me, I would go to see a lot of the bigger bands like you know Pennywise or Vandals or whatever it might be. Yeah, and I would leave the gig and i would i would seek out people giving out flyers i would like yep find the person who is like handing out stuff where can where can i go next (laughs) yeah 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 or the zines you know and they were and they was i think they looked at me a bit weirdly but i just wanted to consume it and then from there like from picking up those flyers and i would just sort of study them on the on the tube home yeah i would see that this gig was happening in you know a small pub down the road and that, that then i just basically went to anything I, that my parents would either let me to or that i could right. afford to go to and you, you suddenly discovered like shit there's something happening here on our doorstep like it's our own thing so it was it was just weird like how it, it just kind of genuinely was sort of the other way around for us like how we yeah. had to find the big the, the bigger us stuff internationally led us on this the stuff on the doorstep what was happening like this is this is in jersey right you're you're growing up in jersey yeah yeah Once, mm-hmm. you've obviously got a, a well well documented scene at the time there of you know bands that we all know and love now like what, yeah what but your experience i didn't now? i knew about the souls like peripherally because of like a high school friend of mine was kind of i think like cousins with one of them or something but i i didn't really know about them until like I never really listened to them until the Epitaph record came out, and I didn't know about Lifetime. I completely missed Lifetime when they were actually around, even though I was into punk, quote unquote. I grew up the next town over from New Brunswick, but that must that might as well have been a different world because it was just 
bad timing because like a couple years after Lifetime finished, I started going to shows in New Brunswick and and seeing shows like where they used to play. Uh, you know, but that was mostly like touring, you know, seeing Dillinger 4 at the Melody Bar or whatever, like, uh, Hot Water Music. Uh, so, but I, so I like kind of just missed the actual New New Brunswick, that heyday of it. Did you ever get um, to see Lifetime when they reformed? Yeah, like the, the first time they reformed, they did a show at the Stone Pony and they did a show in Philly and I went to both of those and it was, you know, yeah, so it was the first, uh, reformed show. They were great. And then I've, I've seen them like a bunch of times since the Ergs actually got to tour with them for a little bit right when their that that self-titled record came out, which is honestly my favorite Lifetime record. So, yeah, I've gotten to see them a few times since. But, yeah, it's it's funny that that stuff is happening in my backyard and I didn't know about it. I was I was still discovering the, the national punk stuff, you know, like. Um, it's a shame, yeah. I, I, I hate when that happens. That you know, you kind of thought you've missed the bus, and like I said, you, you grown up like just around the corner from there. I, I yeah. think you did that sort of seen Lifetime. Right, they're, they're my favorite band, and I've always, I've always been envious of people who don't know grown up in that era. And again, I was caught up in the Epifat stuff as as John was, and I think them being on a on the label like J Tree weren't big enough exposure for to get my attention at the time until like after they'd broken up. Yeah, that's interesting because I know that I feel like I think I was just well was. Was it on your podcast? Did you did you interview Dan? We did, yeah. Yeah, like, and he he was saying that they did a European tour, and I, I didn't even realize that they did. Yeah, I never realized they even went over there. Did, was he saying they didn't get to the UK? Or? Yeah, they didn't make it to the UK. That's right. Yeah. Okay, right. Yeah, but like the, the fact that they even did Europe is kind of nuts to me. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely um, crazy. And I think he was also saying that you know, even even on their home turf, like they just weren't necessarily getting the kind of recognition they they yeah i mean they got later on yeah where they played their last i mean i this might be uh just a weird freak thing but like where they played their last show it's a it's it was the attic uh, the attic of a a bar I, I mean it literally it's like going into your grandmother's attic and going to see a show like the philly show last show was at the trocadero which is like a thousand seat venue so I, I assume they probably just did like three or four shows at this like in this attic space in new brunswick but it's still like kind of nuts that they didn't like they weren't forced to do it at this at a gigantic place you know for their last show yeah uh yeah i don't know it's it but yeah i i, I, I kind of can't believe that that stuff was going on and i didn't know about it but i was just like a year too late uh, oh yeah, we've all we've all, <laughs> had them. we've all we've all had them. I can't. I don't want to think about it. Being but in the, good, the good the good thing is, uh, I've I've realized that every band is going to get back together at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's one band I haven't seen. Uh, Operation Ivy, I think, is the one band I haven't seen. Yeah, I never thought, <laughs> never thought I'd see the replacements. Never thought I'd see like, you know, whoever. It's just like they're all they are. They're all going to get back together. Yeah, so. and when they do get back together, like the replacements was a good one. I mean, it was like it was Riot Fest, wasn't it? And yeah, it was, I mean, I went over to Riot Fest in two thousand and six to see Naked Raygun, who are my favorite yep. band, and and the Bull Weevils, who were performing yep. the same gig. And I flew out the morning of the gig. <clears throat> to go see him um and then the replacements did it a few years later i thought oh god i gotta go out there again which i couldn't make but they came over yeah. here in the end anyway yeah i flew out to that riot fest because they're one of my favorite bands and i just never i, I never thought i'd see them so i flew out and i mean it was my it was mind-blowing it was i you know started crying immediately when they started because they just sounded like the replacements it just sounded exactly like it should have sounded 
And I'm so glad I went because every time, because I didn't, at the time, you're like, oh, they're never going to, this is going to be a one and done thing. And they, they ended up doing a couple years, but every single time they were around, I was, I was not around. Yeah. So I'm glad I saw it because I, I wouldn't have seen it. It was perfect, wasn't it? So you're, so you're obviously, so yeah, I mean, you've, you've sort of touched on it there, the fact that you, you're off touring a lot and stuff. So let, let's, let's kind of go back chronologically. So you're, um, you know, in this blues band, this kind of blues, yeah. kind of rock stuff, but, <laughs> but you, you've discovered this new world. Um, yeah. So what's, what's that sort of next step from you um, kind of start starting something of your own or, or getting, getting yourself involved in that side of things? Around the time I started finding punk rock, I also kind of taught myself how to play guitar-ish. I mean, I, I like basically sat down with a Beatles book, Beatles songbook, and just taught myself all the Beatles songs. So that's how I learned open chords. And then I learned where on the neck all the notes were so I could learn these power chords that you need to learn to play punk. And then so around that time, around this, yeah, around that same time, I just started kind of fucking around with my friends who were also like into punk rock and just kind of you know just jamming and and we had a we had a couple pay to play kind of spots that you know I know that's kind of shitty but like for you know a kid who doesn't know any better it's like oh wait this this club that I've heard of the stone pony is gonna like let us have their off night and all we have to do is sell enough tickets to make it worthwhile for them and you know, they basically just trying to get bands to sell tickets to their high school friends so that, you know, they can make some money at, at this, you know, on some sodas, I guess, <laughs> at this random bar. But yeah, we'd play shit like that. And then, uh, I, yeah, we start, I started a band, uh, oddly enough, I joke I joke with Chris Cresswell all the time about this, that, that the Ergs started out as a band called the Flatliners. And uh, we changed the name because we thought it wasn't good enough. <laughs> or or I, think, I think there were actually like, like five other bands called the Flatliners and we just didn't want to be like lumped in with other, you know, we didn't want to be confused. So then we went by a million different names and then finally just settled on the Ergs for whatever reason. And then, and this was probably like the end of high school. We had just graduated high school when we decided like, all right, let's just be the Ergs and kind of be this lineup of the band. And was it always the same? Was it always the three of you? It was always the three of us, but every once in a while we'd have like, I'd, I'd want to move to guitar, so we'd get a drummer, and then that would last for, like, a couple months, and then we'd go back, and I'd play, sing and play drums, and then we'd want to fill out the sound, so we'd get a second guitar player. That wouldn't work out, so then we'd get back. So it always ended up back the three of us in this in that configuration. So we basically just decided, like, let's stop fucking around, and let's just do this as the three of us as this lineup and whatever and and so i think uh february of 2000 was our first show at our old high school we had all graduated by that point um and then june of 2000 was our first tour we went on tour with a band that i had joined called dirt by Ganny. uh half halfway around the country it was like a two-week tour and we made our first couple demo tapes and stuff around then and that was it was up and running after that like we basically just you know, kind of recorded whenever we could and, and played every, played almost every day in, in our bass player's base, mom's basement. Did you ever record it at that studio? Yeah, the first couple demo tapes that, you know, I won't plug because I don't want people to listen to them, but um, they, like, I recorded those myself in my dad's studio and I recorded a bunch of, like, my friends' bands and stuff. It was fun for a while. 
I, I was getting pretty good at it. But then when things started moving, that we were recording at that point on ADATs, which are these like little VCRs essentially that recorded digitally. Like you literally recorded on VHS tape. Um, but it was still kind of like a user, like or a, a, a hands-on uh, kind of medium where you had to press the record button and work a mixing board and have. So once it all moved to computer and Pro Tools and stuff like that, that's when I like I could kind of completely lost interest in recording my own or recording stuff in general. Uh, being the engineer. I'm now thinking I want to get back into it and kind of learn the ins and outs of the literal ins and outs of digital recording. But would that be for yourself or for the band or maybe for other bands? Just for myself, just so like I do kind of want to, because now I've been, I've been in a recording studio so much. And whenever I go into a recording studio, I'm always fascinated. It always brings me back to my youth and, you know, looking at the old tube limiters that were at my dad's place and seeing one at, at a studio that I'm recording in, you know, now. And I'm just like, oh, I miss I miss those big knobs on those big tube limiters like oh, I, I miss it. So I kind of want to get back into it. But that requires learning how to do it on a computer, which uh, which, you know, I'm not as opposed to now as I was to <laughs> 20 years ago. Your moral but, stance has changed. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's like, you get, get with the times. <laughs> well, let's take you back to um to when the ERG started then. So, I mean, there's three of you. And if you don't mind me saying, like, I mean, I, I saw you guys a couple of times um, and I was blown away by, like, the musicianship. So I think there was obviously, you could tell, um, it's not a surprise to hear that you guys kind of grew up together. And played. Yeah, right. But what's interesting is that at that time, there's obviously, like, quite a diverse sound within within the punk rock um sphere itself and then obviously you've talked about a lot of your, your own experiences but you guys end up playing like quite a you know a, a, a simple um you know played with a, a huge amount of talent but a really simple straightforward you know version of punk rock which is which right. is which is what everyone fell in love with and, and we love and and you know as i said the, the, the last album or the new album does does that brilliantly so what what was the sort of process in terms of how you guys went about deciding what kind of band because you guys could obviously with the talent you had could probably play about anything if you wanted to yeah what was, it, what was it about that sound that sort of you fell in love with well i mean i always as a as a music fan and as a songwriter i just always gravitated towards 50s and 60s rock and roll with 90s pop punk i always just gravitated towards the like simple kind of love song uh you know, that was just always my favorite type of song to listen to. And and I just started writing those types of songs. And, you know, I never really felt like, even though the Ergs were, were a band that could play anything, I, I never really was like, oh, do a, uh, do a heavy metal, like, <laughs> thing here. Or do like a, or, and, and I, I'm not going to, I can't write a political song. I can't do like, a <laughs> so I just like always liked writing simple love songs and then they would take it and put the flourishes in it because like, and that was the thing, like musically we, we all, the reason we were such good friends was we all liked the Mr. T experience, but we all liked uh big star, but we all liked black Sabbath, but we all liked John Coltrane. We were all taking influence from all the modern threat and AOD and, you know, all these, like, kind of fast hardcore bands, too. We never sat down and had a discussion, what are we going to sound like? We just sounded like whatever we felt like sounding like at that moment. And we never said, like, let's not do, let's not put a metal breakdown in this song. Let's not do a, let's not confuse everybody and go from 
a ballad to jazz to hardcore to back to a ballad again you know like whatever like we just never put any limitations on ourselves which i think is what made us sound so unique mm -hmm. maybe to a detriment but but also it made us not sound like your typical like you know we didn't sound like mr t experience or, the, or screeching weasel there were elements of that we didn't sound like green day there were elements of green day but you know i don't think anybody could have pegged us for a green day but like the, the closest anybody got was descendants we always got compared to the sentence but i think it's just because those two could fucking <laughs> wail on their instruments all the time you know like and everyone else descendants yeah i mean and like and, and that's of course like one of my absolute favorite band. another band that i took great inspiration from so I didn't, you know, I didn't mind the Descendants comparisons, but I do think that that was like why we, that's what saved us from not being just your typical pop punk band, I think, was the fact that we had so many other influences that you really couldn't pinpoint. Like you mentioned Nigga Rigga, and that's what, that Joe and, one of Joe, Joe and my favorite band is like, and Jeff too, like we, we, we would cover Wonder Beer and, and Treason all the time back in the day. Like that was like one of our favorite bands and they're, they're a very, very strange punk band like you know that that's a huge inspiration actually because every no no record sounds the same as the last one no absolutely not. <laughs> did you check out that newest one i you know i haven't heard it yet i need to i've been pretty bad with new music uh lately and i feel like there was i was waiting to get it on vinyl and i feel like it just kind of started popping up on vinyl so uh yeah, there's a I, massive delay but, yeah um, it came through. i've got to say i mean I, i'm a i'm a bit of a reagan obsessive um just a bit which is, yeah. <laughs> but um, it's really good. Like, I mean, no, awesome. it's, it is really genuinely quite good. Uh, I, imagine... I, would be, I would be honest about it, but it's, yeah. I mean, it took them 30 years. So. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, I mean, I lo I've loved everything they've done. I, I think it was, uh, again, on your podcast that he uh, he was saying that Reagan Naked Reagan was his like least favorite record. And I was like, huh, that's weird. <laughs> I love that record. Yeah. But I, I also agreed that All Rise was one of the best, so... <laughs> but yeah, uh, I gotta get my head on my ass and, and listen to the new one. Mike, let's get back to you, Mikey. So, like, obviously, the Ergs, um, the Ergs, yeah, the Ergs take off and and are a phenomenal band. And then and then obviously you look at your um, the roster of of bands that you've played in since. And it's quite, <laughs> I mean, you got to, I mean, you know, you got to scroll, you got to scroll down a lot to to kind of work your way through, including playing with some friends over here in the UK uh, in Pale Angels with, with my friend yeah. Jamie. Uh, and lo loads of other stuff which is which is amazing and obviously warriors at the moment which is still going yeah and we spoke with lou the other week and obviously mm -hmm. we're playing with her at the moment like yeah what's, um i mean just just give us an idea of like how, how life before the pandemic was kind of like because because from the outside it looks like you were pretty relentless and how do you find a time uh i i screw up a lot with scheduling i i must <laughs> i must admit when the Ergs broke up in 2008, I was kind of taking that as a, okay, good. I can take a breather from being the creative force of the band for, of a band for a while. And, but really just loved music and just really didn't have anything else <laughs> that I was interested in doing. So that was kind of when I started my, I'm going to join any band that'll have me and kind of like tour. I mean, I was touring nine, 10 months out of the year sometimes. I joined the Dopamines, I joined Star Fucking Hipsters, I joined Off at Their Heads, I had joined uh, Slow Death, I joined, you know, just like 
the list went on and on. These were all like heavily touring bands. So I would have to like leave San Diego, fly to New York, and then just stay at the airport for five hours and then fly to Europe to do another to do a pale angels tour or something you know like uh but it was just what i I wanted and needed to do i wanted to keep myself in practice i wanted to keep myself like busy and just i love playing music so i just wanted to play all this stuff that was the reasoning for for playing yeah i i definitely screwed up a a couple times with scheduling so that's i don't know how I, i how how do you do it is uh badly in that in that regard <laughs> do you think your pandemic's kind of given you um a bit of a sense of uh, of kind of, of reassessing like what what it was like before are you are you going to commit yourself to quite so much do you think or? no de- definitely not i've gotten used to uh well i'm also getting older but i've also i've gotten used to kind of not doing that and uh yeah i still want to play i still and like i feel like Depending on what happens in the next few months, this year I think will probably still be kind of like a, a fairly heavy cycle, but especially I have a new solo record coming out, so I want to do a little bit of touring for that. Can you tell me more about that? Uh, yeah, I I we recorded it a few months ago with Steve Albini, which was an incredible experience, wow. but because of all the supply change shit and actually we just like had to reject the test pressing so it's it's gotten pushed back a little further but so it won't be out for a while but i think we're still going to put out the digital is it with the same two guys that you did the no it's it's actually with um it's actually with the pretty much the same band i did the first album with which is the first solo album which is lou on drums jeff rosenstock on guitar and my friend alex clute on bass my whole thing with my solo stuff is I kind of want every album to sound a little bit different, if not a lot different. With this one, and it's actually kind of serendipity, when we started recording, it was five years since the first album came out. The So I wanted to do something with that same lineup. We actually set a release date for the actual exact release date that the first album came out. So it's actually kind of like this whole going back and you know it's kind of like i'm kind of calling it a part two of the first album okay it's just the same type of uh same type of vibe i guess uh we've obviously got um talking about lou and uh and jeff obviously the plan is fingers crossed touch wood the plan is yeah we're all gonna do uh yeah we just played like the uh, all the way lou had we just played two pretty incredible shows out here out east uh we keep joking that we because at at the show that we played is when the uh, the show we played in in Brooklyn uh, uh, like a week ago is kind of when all the everybody started realizing oh shit like I know like five people that are positive you know like yeah. you just everything finally started like it started getting like real we're just like fuck did we play the last gig in in New York but it it fucking it was so killer it was so fun and yeah lose the best and. We were very excited to be playing. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm really I'm praying that that because I can't wait to get back over there again because it's been it's been almost three years since I've been over there. As a way to kind of round off, like I um j- just back to the new album, the one that yeah. has come out. You mentioned uh, right at the beginning the kind of as as you were kind of getting into this punk stuff at the time of the kind of grunge era and you and look at records and everything and obviously there's two covers on on the yeah and there's the pearl jam covers, <laughs> which is really great uh and green day which is which is a bit more sort of true to form um 
and actually you you've always been I, i've always loved a lot of the um you, you're not shy of a, of a cover song um no i love i absolutely love the um the ergs version of um of hey jealousy which I'm oh like yeah with, <laughs> is that the lemuria seven with lemuria yeah that's awesome um, yeah i love it and your dad was in a covers band so it kind of all comes yeah around. well and that's you know and when 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 we were getting into punk uh you would buy these you know back in my day in in the in the in the late night early mid 90s late 90s you like before the internet before spotify before all this stuff you'd buy seven inches because they were three dollars instead of you know nine dollars what what an lp was so if you wanted to check out you know i don't know bracket or you know no effects you'd buy a seven inch and hear what they sounded like and then you'd take the chance on the album so we used to buy these seven inches and a lot of bands would put covers on the B-side. Like, you know, Boris the Sprinkler would do Get Off the Phone by the Heartbreakers or something. And, you know, we just get, it just got us into so many, oh, I got to hear the original version of that. Oh, that kicks ass too. Cool. Uh, now I have another new favorite band, you know. So I kind of like doing covers, even though I don't, I don't ever change them all that much, even though and sometimes I do think that's boring if, if you if you do a cover and it's and you don't and you kind of just do a straight cover but i kind of like doing a straight cover just if you like me and you like the b-side of my seven inch or you know these couple covers i threw on a record and you check out the other band you'll you'll kind of know what they sound like already and you'll hear this great song and then maybe you'll check out the other the original band like that's kind of my aside from loving the song uh, a motivation was like to do what I did and get into other bands that you might not be familiar with if I'm if if they're being covered by, like there uh, there are a few more than a few people that were like I didn't know Pearl Jam rocked so hard but I went back and listened to their song and you did an ex exact cover of it <laughs> I was like yeah I just probably sped it up a little bit that's all <laughs> and how how did you decide upon a cover to choose that one I lit it I was I was running one morning and I literally like a couple days before I went in to record that record and it just popped in my head. I was like, I'm going to do that song. It's going to be track two on the album. I don't, I don't know why it just popped in my head and I made it. So, uh, and the green day one, we, we were just, um, we, we did it. The, one of the last things we did before lockdown was we did a, we did a tour down the East coast, me and these two guys. And, um, uh, and we were rehearsing for it and I just hit an A chord and did the little hammer on that you'd, that you just do when you hit that A chord and you like Green Day. And we all just went into the song and just played it flawlessly, take one, you know? And because we all know it, like the back of our hands. And we stopped and I was like, that's in the set. Good. We have we have one more song to play. <laughs> so we uh, so we decided to play it, to record it when we when we did this record. Mikey, what's your um what's your favorite? cover song that's not one of yours that you as in a song that you haven't covered what's an, a favorite cover song that you oh that's a good question uh i love elvis costello is another one that uh not only writes some of the most favorite songs i've ever had but also is not shy about doing covers if you have his entire catalog including b-sides and uh fucking rarities compilations there are a lot of covers on there and i think that's kind of because of the same reason it's like i think he just wants to put all this music out there to people that might be listening to him 
Uh, but he did he did a cover of I Just Don't Know What to Do With Myself by Burt Bacharach and Hal David. And it's it's My Aim is True era, or this year's model era, Elvis Costello, but doing this, like, schmaltzy fucking, like, Burt Bacharach song, pretty fucking true to form, and it's pretty amazing to hear. <laughs> it's on the Live Stiffs compilation uh, that came out in the late 70s, but... That's oh, that's definitely one of my favorite. I mean, I have a, I'm, I'm sure I have a zillion favorite cover songs, but that's definitely one of them. I love it. Great choice. So, Mikey, obviously you performed quite a lot, and you previously mentioned that your dad was a performer um, for quite a while. Did you ever perform like as a father and son act, or did you just keep yourself separate in, in terms of like your music? No, never did. And honestly, I was kind of a little shit when I was growing up, and like he wanted to teach me, you know, rudiments and, you know, drum uh, technique and stuff like that and i was like no man i got it i'll learn it myself uh i wish i wasn't such an asshole about that nowadays because he's he's in florida now and it's just like we don't see each other as often as we used to so like now i'd be like oh teach me some of the because he was in the he was in like the army band in the in the 60s and 70s and like he knows how he knows how to play drums whereas i know how to bang on things in rhythm <laughs> with with decent timing uh i wouldn't people ask me all the time like why don't you teach drums because i don't know how to play drums i can i can sit down with you and say go boom bob boom boom bob boom bop to a metronome and and keep good time but i don't know anything about you know rudiments or I can't read drum music or anything like that. So that's something that he could have taught me if I wasn't such a <laughs> dick about it <laughs> when I was growing up. But, you know, you never want to be taught anything when you're growing up, I feel like. That's true. <laughs> that's, why, that's why we were all punks, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> and did, did he ever watch you play at all? Uh, he has, like, once or twice. I think he came to see the blues band, like, once or twice. Yeah. Um. And then for a while, I was working at the studio, uh, but then taking time off from the studio to go on tour. And he was always kind of bummed when I would, when I would leave and not work to go on tour. And he never understood why I was going on tour for two months and then coming home penniless because that's what you, <laughs> that's what you do when you're because when you made your money for. 20 30 years playing in covers bands you don't understand why you would play money for any play music for anything other than money i don't think but, anyone understands uh, no I, I don't really understand it even though i did it <laughs> <laughs> well no yes yeah, same uh and like it was only when i i was on the i played drums in the house band of this sketch comedy show called the chris gethard show and when he could actually tune in to his cable and watch me play that's when he realized, like, oh, I, th I think he's made it. <laughs> like, that was when that was when I can finally kind of say that I was a professional musician. <laughs> what, what were the odds in him just watching there, critiquing your drumming style? I don't think, yeah, he never, like, <laughs> I think he always was kind of just impressed that I was doing it. Yeah. Uh, cool. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah, he always, that's when he, that's when he finally, like, started showing some, some pride in what I was doing. But, I, you know, I understand if, like, a lot of people wouldn't understand why why would you go on tour for two months and make no money at all <laughs> like that's kind of a stupid thing to do <laughs> the love 
yeah the for the love for the love i don't, know, I don't think, I think many baby people have asked themselves that same question many parents have probably had that same question with their i'm kids. sure yeah what yeah. do you do with your life <laughs> So, so Mike, we normally finish you off by asking a question. However, I feel that you've probably answered this one already. It's in regards to your all-time favourite band. But if you can just give me a, an idea of who that may be. Yeah, it's a, I mean, oh, fuck, there's too many. Uh, you know, the Beatles are probably like my probably all-time, all-time. XTC is another like gigantic one. They might be number two. Wow, that's a random band. I love that. I love that band so much. It's... Uh, it was bordering on an obsession for like a oh, year really? where like it's all I listened to. I just think Andy Partridge has like such a wonderful, I took so much from him songwriting wise, just, he's just so brilliant and everything is just this brilliant turn of phrase. I think drums and wires was the first thing I heard and was just like mind blown. And then skylarking. So I got like kind of the best of both weird like the weird punky and the weird poppy and then just was like okay i'm gonna discover everything that this band has to offer so yeah i'm definitely gonna go for a beer with him in april um lovely guy really really sound guy um lots of fun he just he just radiated it absolutely yeah 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 um let's just keep our fingers crossed for april hopefully they'll get over um and we can all enjoy a dance and a drink um, and everything else. We hope you enjoyed the chat. Um, we did. So, you know, that's that's at least some people are kept happy. Um, go check out Mikey's new album. It's brilliant. It's out. Uh, there is a UK release, I believe. So you can get it over here in the UK. Um, we do have listeners from all over the world. So check out... Um, Check out your, your local record store. I'm sure somewhere is either stocking it and it is available online, but it's great. And there's a couple of great covers on there too. Um, Dave, people can check us out online as well, can't they? They can do. Uh, no, I'm not going to read out all the, the addresses and stuff like that, but we're on Facebook or on Twitter or on Instagram. Um, if you want to send us an email, you can do at podcast.gmail.com, but you should know where we are by now. Yeah, I'm sure. Great. Listen, thank you so much, and we will see you next time. Take care. Hi, this is Mikey Erg uh, from The Ergs and a million other bands, and you've been listening to the Punk Rock Academy podcast.